Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. A little bit later today than I plan to be, but uh, you know, it's life on life's terms, right? Got a couple of articles written over on jeanspage.com. You should go check that out. One of them is free. One of them is VIP. One of them is about Mississippi State's newest verbal commitment, Marcus Banks. I'm going to explain to you why he's still a verbal commitment in the next segment of the show and kind of explain how that process works. Had some discussions over on Gene's page on the True Maroon board today with some of our very astute posters. You know, like, hey, why is this situation different? I thought, well, you know what, let's address it on the show. Made a couple phone calls, got some information, kind of confirmed what I already knew. But I began to kind of second guess myself a little bit, too. And so we'll talk about that. Uh, also, too, you know, there's a lot going on. I, I don't know how long we go today, okay, because I got, I got kids uh, with me through Sunday. Thank goodness. It's nice to be able to spend some time with them. Um, but we will have a show on Friday. I might actually record that Thursday and then we'll just run it out there on Friday. I know many of you will travel and would like to hear some Mississippi State news and notes. So we'll get that for you. Now your football team getting ready to head to Memphis already in game week preparations. And, uh, we're looking forward to that. Of course, big news today, Texas A&M bows out of the Gator Bowl. Now the Gator Bowl is scrambling, trying to find an opponent. Could be a 5-7 and seven team. Could be a bowl-eligible G5 team. Could be a team that's already played in a bowl game. There's a lot of options. They're, they're working this thing out, trying to get the games played. Yeah, who thought we'd be dealing with that this year? You know, last year we kind of expected, but all of a sudden now we've got, um, you know, all this other stuff going on. There's new variants and things like that. And I don't know what everybody's testing protocol is, but the bottom line is Texas A&M not playing in the Gator Bowl. What a disappointment, you know, for those fans. You know, many of them, uh, you know, a chance to kind of put a cap on a, a, a very good season, not a great year. Any year you beat Alabama is a really good year. But when you get swept by the Mississippi schools in the same year, hardly qualifies as a great year. But that's the big news there. But your Bulldogs getting ready to go play on the 28th. So hopefully we don't hear about any other bowl games having issues. We'd like to be able to get to this thing uh, you know, healthy and happy and uh, put a nice cap on the season and crown a national champion and, 
and get ready for college baseball. Reminder, if you hadn't already planned to do so, Mississippi State baseball is going to open the season February 17th, Long Beach State. So it'll be Valentine's Day weekend. Get ready to come out and be a part of that. As we uh, get ready to defend our national championship, never gets old saying that, does it? Absolutely not. All right, let's look at some quick basketball stuff before we kind of get deeper into the show. You know, Mississippi State uh, men took care of business down there in Jackson. I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not a big fan of playing that game in Jackson anymore. And it's not that I don't love you Central Mississippi Bulldogs. I do. I really do. I just think the novelty of that game has worn off. You know, we never play a quality opponent. That's kind of the, the, the point, right? But also, too, you know, I just think the facility is just it, – it doesn't lend itself – to a really good uh, basketball environment. It just doesn't. If it were up to me, I'd go play this game at the Lander Center in South Haven. We'd be able to pull some folks out of Memphis. It would be a, be kind of a novelty thing, I guess. Maybe, maybe you move it around a little bit. Maybe one year you play in Biloxi. Maybe one year you play in South Haven. I mean, you, having this game on campus, you know, you're going to get, you know, 200 people, you know, during a holiday break with all our students gone. So I think it, let's, let's do something to kind of spice it up a little bit. Let's don't go back to Jackson because I think it's just gotten stale. Let's go to South Haven. I'm a proponent of that. Let's go play at the Lander Center in South Haven. Bring the hardwood basketball Bulldogs to the greater Memphis area. We got a huge alumni base up there. I know you guys would turn out and come to that game. It's great. It's great. I, that's what we should do. It's just my opinion. I don't have any, uh, any say in any of this, but I, I just think – the whole experience in Jackson has gotten stale, and I like Jackson. I'm not one of these Jackson haters. I love going down there playing in uh, Trustmark Park there in Pearl. I think it's a really cool thing. I just think the basketball thing, we need to kind of change it up a little bit. Let's go to South Haven. If you're listening to me, difference and decision makers, let's go to South Haven next year for the Christmas ball game. Right? Better facility. It be a better crowd. And I think, again, the novelty of the whole thing makes perfect sense to me. Despite the fact that there was limited attendance, Bulldogs took care of business. I'm going to talk a little bit about basketball before we get into this Marcus Banks thing. Bulldogs finished a non-conference slate 9-3. Nine 9-3. And nine and with a, with a, you know, we didn't expect to struggle with Winthrop, and we didn't. We went 84-63. And the Bulldogs still are not completely healthy. You know, Rocket Watts, Tolu not playing. We're hoping to get those guys back after a holiday if we begin SEC play. Winthrop now 6-6. Six and six. State has a 47-28 lead at the break. And then they win the second half by two, but it was all academic by then. Bulldogs pretty much empty the bench there. Get everybody an opportunity to get in the game. Iverson Molinar, your leading scorer with 22 points. 8 of 10 from the line, 2 of 2 from 3. Pulled down three rebounds, handed out three assists. DJ Jeffries... A very solid acquisition for this team, 19 points. Garrison Brooks, 15 for him, pulls down five boards. Shaquille Moore, a double-digit scorer as well with 10. Derek Fountain back in the starting lineup again. And, and I just think the scoring options for him are better off the bench. I think that's what we've seen. I think he's better off the bench. Now, granted, he's starting because we've got some, some injuries, but uh, just two points for him last night. I think you know he's kind of like that microwave guy. It's like you bring him in when you need a, a little juice, now, all of a sudden, you put him in a starting lineup. He just doesn't seem to have the same impact. Uh, JV and Davis actually fouled out of the ball game with eight points. Uh, Cam Carter with three last night. Isaac Stansberry also with three. Knocked down a three-point shot. How about that? 
Anderson Garcia with a with a, a deuce as well. Cam Matthews played 24 minutes, uh, pulled down six boards, didn't score. But, you know, he's one of those guys, too. It's almost like that's cool. Like anything we get offensively from him is a bonus because he is such a great defensive player. you got to have some guys like that. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Brandon Vincent. Remember him? Right? You remember him, right? He was the, the, the fan favorite in many respects. Junior college transfer, part of the Road Warriors team that won the SEC, just did all the grunt work. You put him up there and lock down everybody else's best forward, next thing you know, Bulldogs are off and running. But uh, I think Cam Matthews is a guy that has a role in this team, no matter what he does offensively. I like his game. I do. And, and sometimes, you know, he has a pretty good offensive game. He's a guy that kind of cleans up the glass and gets some putbacks for you. But uh, 84, 63 winners. And so that's it for men's basketball until – December 29th, we're going to play against Arkansas in Humphrey Coliseum. That's an 8 p.m. tip. That's an SEC game. It will be broadcast on the SEC network. And I know it's difficult to get up and go to work the next day. But, man, if you're going to be late or you're going to be a little bit groggy or need an extra cup of coffee, what better way than to be here for the SEC opener? A lot of people have said, hey, Steve, what do you expect from this team? I still expect to be a tournament team. I think – when we're healthy, we can compete with just about anybody. But when you look at the way this thing opens up here, you know, it's not going to be – it's not going to be you – know, SEC play is never easy. We're, we're not going to get off to, you know, the most advantageous SEC schedule just to kind of open up. We're going to get Arkansas, and Arkansas is going to be good. They always are. Now, we always seem to find a way to compete with them here. Ben Howen just kind of has a way, you know, kind of getting those guys' number. So, you know, it's just kind of part of the deal. But um, – you know, Arkansas, we know, we know the quality of that program. It's never going to be a walkover game. They're 10-2 and two in the non-conference. Played pretty well. Got off to a pretty big streak there. And then they lost to Oklahoma. And then they uh, lost to Hofstra, believe it or not, in North Little Rock. One of those games you take off campus. And then, um, you know, hey, then uh, they beat Elon. On Tuesday in Bo Walton Arena, their, their final tune-up before playing us. And so they're going to be a good team. And then we're going to go on the road, you know, for a couple ball games. And uh, one of them is really important to you guys. You know, we're going to go to Missouri first. That's January 5th. You know, the Tigers have had some talent here as of late. I remember going up there a couple years ago and getting cheated out of a ball game, though. I'm sure you guys do, too. You remember the Lamar Peters thing, right? You remember that? It's ridiculous, man. I'm still bitter about it. You should be too. Life is short. Death is certain. But we are unforgiving when it comes to this kind of stuff. Missouri, again, a lot of talent this year, but 6-5. and five. They're a young team kind of figuring some things out. So that's a winnable game for us. But it's always so tough to put on that dark jersey and go on the road in this league. I'm kind of glad we're getting them early. And we get them right after they play Kentucky. They'll open up at Rupp. And then, then they'll be home against us. And so, you know, we got a chance to go steal an easy uh, easy one, an early road win, and that would be huge for this team. I think we're capable of doing that. And then, of course, we're at, at Ole Miss on January 8th. So here's the deal. If you get – you can get through those first three games, two and three, I think you feel pretty good about your start. No easy outs in the SEC, but let's say you drop those first three. Goodness gracious. 
Arkansas is a good team. Missouri, not a great team. You drop that one at home, I mean, on the road, and then you lose at Ole Miss. And, and we seem to have a, a tendency not to play well at Oxford since they've made the jump to the Pavilion. So if you can survive that thing, go two and one, I think it puts you on track, obviously, to make the tournament. And uh, I still have hopes this team will make the tournament. Started a thread on Gene's page today, and people are like, hey, Steve, you're fanning the flames of discontent. No, I'm not. I'm just, I ask people, hey, we have to make a change. Who would you like to hire? Here's the deal. We've been, Ben Howland's been here seven years now, and uh, we are yet to win an NCAA tournament game. And we can make excuses. We can make all the excuses in the world. The bottom line is to go seven straight years without winning an NCAA tournament game, that's a, that's a rough stretch. We've only made it once, right? And we get upset by Liberty. And that was a team, obviously, that we had that had three NBA players on it. And so, yeah, there is, there is some reason for discontent about the tenure. But that's got nothing to do with this season. You know, this team and this season, we have a chance to put some things together. And, again, I think the puzzle pieces are there. You know, the question that I have for myself is, like, what if for some reason we don't make it? What if we miss the tournament? And then you look at next year, and I don't know if you guys have thought about this. You know, and, and listen, everybody says, well, it's a portal, a portal, a portal. You can't com- completely depend on that. But you start looking at these, you know, what, what you've got returning. Iverson Molinar is going to go pro this year. There's no question about that. You know, what's going to happen, you know, with uh, you know, Garrison Brooks? Grad transfer, he's gone, right? Tolu Smith, he's a redshirt junior. Is he going to come back? Mm, probably not. You know, and so you begin to think, you know, if we don't do it now, we're looking to rebuild next year. So we'll see how things progress. Again, I'm still optimistic that we're going to be okay this year. That's, that's my honest and earnest belief. That's my hope. But I think, again, the pieces are there once everybody is healthy for us to get out there and compete with just about anybody in the SEC. I still believe this is a tournament team. I don't think they're a lot of fun to watch at times. But at the end of the day, if I want to be entertained, I can go to the movies or watch Netflix. I want to watch Mississippi State win. And sometimes winning ugly, which is kind of our trademark at times, uh, it's just kind of part of that deal. There's going to be some grinded out type games. I mean, there's some teams we're not going to be able to get out and match up athlete for athlete and run the floor, Right. Sometimes we're going to have to grind it out in the half court. And so, again, I think we're going to be okay. I think it's just a matter of we, we got to avoid the abysmal start. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will as well. Many of you already do. Our friend Kenny Manning sent me a picture giving a five-star rating for the spring rolls. I, I don't make this stuff up, guys. I, I wouldn't push you in that direction if I didn't believe it to be true. Great. Spring rolls, probably the best appetizer in Starkville proper. And I, I think I've had them all. I think I have. The spring rolls always bring me back. Mike Nemeth likes it so much, he has it as an entree. Just orders the appetizer and eats them all himself. And then gets a side of fries. It's incredible. You can get a great restaurant-quality hamburger. I encourage you to do so. If you just want the straight rock and, rock and roll American-type hamburger, get the Bulldog. You can't go wrong there. But you know what? I'm encouraged to experiment a little bit. Have the smokehouse. Have the pimentology add bacon. Have the Bryant. Switch it up a little bit. You'll be glad you did. Have that, that uh, BLT salad, which is fabulous. I've never finished it. They ought to have like a contest. Like if you finish it, like you, I don't know, you get something. It's very substantial with the portions. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive right here in Start Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And, of course, a brand new in Lake Harbor Drive in the Richmond Flowood area. You'll be glad you went by there. 
Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about Marcus Banks, the Alabama transfer committed to Mississippi State earlier this week since we were together last. It was a bit of a surprise. Now, let me give you a little backstory on this too. So Marcus Banks was a four-star out of Houston, Texas. He picked Alabama at the All-American Bowl over at Florida, A&M, and many others. Has basically been a career special teams guy at Alabama. Kind of got buried on the depth chart a little bit. Played some this year. Started a game against Mercer. He was a two-deeper against Miami. Played in that game as well. Uh, Job had a turf toe injury. So they started Banks against Mercer. He responded with four tackles and an interception. Long, lean, fleet-footed corner. A lot to work with, a lot to like about him. You love his potential. You're a little concerned about production. Now, some of that, obviously, is he hadn't had a lot of game reps. And so that you begin to ask, say, well, why isn't he playing? Well, there's a lot of good players at Alabama that aren't playing. And the reality of it is, is Alabama is the premier program in the country. And so if you get it too deeper from them, there's a good chance that he can contribute here. And you say, well, Steve, you're basically saying Alabama's better than us. I don't know that that's breaking news. And I'll take all the Alabama defensive back defections off the trap, the trash heap of college football. I'll take them every year because Nick Saban is the premier evaluator of defensive backs in the country. And it's not close. Now, Banks commits to Mississippi State. There were a lot of rumors he was about to commit to Miami, and I will tell you there is some substance to those rumors. It was never a done deal he was going to State. Now, Jason Washington, your safeties coach here in Starkville, has a longstanding relationship with Marcus and his mother. He has committed. He's trying to figure some things out. Now, he cannot sign today. Now, what he can sign and this was kind of the subject of a discussion over at Gene's Page. If you know Colonel King uh, from Gene's Page fame, he is in every threat. He is a prolific poster. And he brings up, hey, well, what's the situation with Pitt signing the USC quarterback? And then the coach talks about it. Well, here's how it works. Four-year transfers do not sign a national letter of intent. They can, however, sign the conference scholarship agreement and the institutional acceptance of offer. Now, what that does is, like, say, for an example, if he signed an SEC financial agreement, that means that no other SEC school can recruit him. The issue is that there's not a lot of SEC schools in the mix with him. It would not prevent Miami from continuing to recruit him up until he enrolls in school. That's the only thing that is binding with a transfer, and that brings up a different discussion. You know, the NCAA transfer portal is still relatively new. There is a discussion going on behind the scenes among policymakers in college football that four-year transfers should be able to sign a national letter of intent, thus ending the recruiting process. If they have made their selection, they should be able to sign, and then no risk to the school whatsoever. And people say, well, last year, Steve, we had some transfers, and the university announced them like a day or two later. And that's because they came much later. Those commitments came in January, like Makai Polk announced and then was able to sign and enroll in classes basically a day or two later. Jalen Green, similar situation. Matter of fact, if you remember, 
Jalen Green went all the way up to the drop ad date. Might have even been a day past it. And, of course, you work that out with your own registrar. And so that's the perception is that, hey, well, these guys last year, they announced and then signed right away. It's because they waited much later to do it. It is a dead period between now and January 13th. And then we, I believe we start spring classes on the 15th. I believe that's correct. Now, because of the coaching change at Miami, they can bring Marcus Banks in on another official visit. So you could say, well, Steve, when would that happen? Well, it have to take place in mid to late January. And, of course, classes will have started by then. And so they can't have any face-to-face contact with him on or off campus basically until school begins. And he commits to Mississippi State for a reason. That doesn't mean that Miami is not still trying to get him because they are. They absolutely are. Now, the talk from our Miami publishers is that Banks told Miami either over the weekend or on Monday that he was going to be a hurricane. And then Mississippi State, before that announcement is made, convinces him he should be a bulldog. And so there's a lot of layers to unpack in this thing, but the reality of it is is he has committed to Mississippi State over Miami, Maryland, Houston, Florida State, and others. That doesn't mean that the process couldn't somehow change. Now, I'm not trying to set up any drama. I'm just trying to make sure you guys are aware of this so you're not blindsided. But he picked Mississippi State for a reason, and that's because he believes that's the best opportunity for him. And again, he is a Houston, Texas native, and Houston was involved as well, but uh, didn't really work out for those guys. But we'll see how things progress. But again, I'm resting in the fact that he picked Mississippi State. He made a public declaration. His mother then goes on Twitter and says, hey, I need my cowbell now. So we can feel comfortable with that. But we also are kind of keeping our eyes peeled because of the fact that there's nothing to stop Miami or anybody else from contacting him and saying, hey, let's keep this process going. He did officially visit both schools. And that, of course, was the Manny Diaz staff at Miami when he did visit. So, uh, again, we'll see how things progress. But that's kind of where things Uh, stand today. I want to make sure you guys understand how that all works because there's nothing at this point that protects us. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com dot com forward slash 
Boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Now, the, the situation with Slavis, the USC quarterback, that uh, or Slovis, that committed to Pitt, from what I understand, you know, he has already signed his financial aid agreement and, uh, you know, the acceptance letter, but he is still a recruitable athlete. Despite the fact that he has signed those agreements, despite the fact that Pat uh, Narduzzi has made public comments about him, he is still a recruitable athlete. So he and Banks are similarly situated in that regard. The difference is Banks hadn't signed anything with Mississippi State yet. Now, that's, and again, even if he does, it doesn't slow down the Miami pursuit of him because they're not at a Southeastern Conference school. And so it's, it is a convoluted process that needs to be simplified I think everybody can agree when somebody makes a public direction declaration as a transfer that the best thing for them is to get matters resolved, get the paperwork done, stop the process so they can begin planning you know, their move to the new school. You get housing and all that stuff set up and not have all of these coaches still calling you and texting you. And, of course, it's up to Marcus Banks, too. He could just tell Miami, hey, I'm done. I'm going to go to Mississippi State. Stop contacting me. But uh, there's nothing to prevent them from – from still pursuing him. And that pursuit is ongoing. It is. I think we're going to be okay, but I think it's important that you guys know the facts behind this and understand that uh, just because somebody tweets out a graphic and says, hey, I'm a dog, doesn't mean they ultimately will be. And, again, I'm not trying to cause any undue anxiety here. But, you know, we went through that with M.J. Daniels last year. M.J. Daniels committed to Mississippi State, tweets out, I'm a dog, and then signs with Ole Miss. So until he's here – we can't really breathe that sigh of relief. We can be optimistic, but we can't be certain. So, again, I think it's important. You know how it works behind the scenes because it's a little bit different. And, again, I am very much a proponent of them changing the national letter of intent legislation to ensure that these guys can end the process when they're ready as a transfer. Now, one of the things, too, is a lot of people think this because the NCAA supervises college athletics that they're in charge of everything. The conference – chairman of the conference presidents are the ones that ultimately govern the national letter of intent and so that's basically there are two entities here that are working together that are 
while they are involved with the same student athletes, the, the national letter of intent folks do not answer to the NCAA. And so this is not some bureaucracy we have to go through and all this red tape with uh, Mark Emmert's group, and there's no telling it probably in the congressional hearings if they had anything to say about it. But if the conference uh, commissioners and or presidents decide, hey, let's go ahead and tweak this a little bit and remove some of this uh, recruiting stuff that happens late for these transfers, then we can do that. And I think that it's probably what needs to happen. I expect that to happen probably as early as next year. And that's the thing when you institute, you know, new options under the NCAA umbrella is it kind of opens up other possibilities and and maybe you don't fully appreciate what those are until we enact it. So now that we're, you know, basically two years into this transfer portal thing, we're beginning to see there's some tweaks that need to be made. I know many of you are completely against the transfer portal. Uh, I am for the transfer portal. I am also for the immediate eligibility deal. That's perfectly fine with me. I think the NLI stuff has got to be changed. I think the NLI stuff and the NIL stuff, and I know that's a lot of acronyms to throw at you. we got to get control, name, image, and likeness, and we've got to tweak this with the national letter of intent because there's just no need for this. I mean, there's no good reason not to do it, to allow them to go ahead and sign their letter of intent just to kind of end the process. To me, that makes uh, the absolute most sense. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. If you're looking to refinance your mortgage, and maybe you should be. If you're looking to buy a home, I think you certainly should be as well. Maybe you're looking for a secondary property. Maybe you're looking for a second mortgage. Maybe you're looking for a home equity line of credit. Blair can help you with every bit of that. Part of the Fairway Mortgage Group, considered by many the top mortgage lender in the United States. And Blair is not just some fly-by-night guy. It's part of some subprime lending institution in a top 1% in close ratio nationally. 21 years of experience in the business. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. It can be very intimidating going through that mortgage process. I mean, you need everything, a pound of blood, a note from your mom, a lock of your kid's hair. I mean, you know, there's so much that goes into this. It's nice to have a friend in the business that can help you navigate through all that. Blair is my friend. He's happy to be your friend as well. And if you're doing business with him and you listen to this show, guess what? He's going to give you a discount. There's so many fees associated with mortgage lending. If you're a Boneyard listener, guess what? Doesn't matter who you cheer for, but if you listen to this show and you mention to Blair, hey, Blair, I heard about you on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. How about that? That's about a five dollars to $600 value. I'm going to give you his personal cell number. Not his office number, not his personal assistance number. I'm going to give you his number. 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And I know that Blair has some loans in the pipeline right now from Boneyard listeners. Probably have some testimonials sooner rather than later. But again, it's good to be with somebody who has seen it all and done it all. And you think, Steve, I'm kind of a non-conforming borrower and I've got all these issues and I just I don't know that I, I'm ready to take that challenge on. Well, Blair is. Blair is. Blair is a guy to get things done. He's a guy that wants to work with you to ensure that whatever your needs are, are met. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. All right, today's top ten list, we're sticking with Christmas music again. We're doing traditional Christmas cover songs. So basically, I, I looked up a very special Christmas. They've, they've got, what, seven albums or so, and I listened to a bunch of those, and I picked up my favorites. 
and so who they are. So we had, you know, kind of the rocking Christmas, and I didn't include Billy Squire's Christmas is a Time to Say I Love You. I know it's not an original song, but Billy deserved an honorable mention, and we missed it. So let's get that correct of the day. So we're going to do traditional Christmas cover songs. Top 10 traditional Christmas cover songs. Number 10, Christmas All Over Again by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. God rest his soul. Tom Petty died too soon. Number nine, we're going back a few years. It's Tracy Chapman's cover of Oh Holy Night. You guys know Tracy Chapman from from Fast Car. Tracy Chapman, probably in many respects, kind of an underappreciated singer. I mean, she was incredibly, incredibly talented. And I guess she still is. My point being is that we hadn't heard as much from her as of late. But when... When she first hit the scene, people were like, holy smokes, where's she from? So her cover of Oh Holy Night is number nine. Uh, Number eight, we go with Sir Rod Stewart. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow is number eight. And if you follow me on Twitter, I recently shared a video. There's so much out there on Twitter. There's people always tearing people down, always people to remind you of your mistakes, and some of it's not so good-hearted. But I saw this video This lifelong Rod Stewart fan is dying. I believe he has brain cancer. And someone went through some organization to grant this man his dying wish. And that was to get a video from Rod Stewart. And Rod, of course, sings um, one of his favorite songs to him. And uh, partially, and then wishes him the best and blows him kisses. The whole thing lasts about a minute. But I began to think to myself, you know, Rod Stewart is one of the biggest music stars in the world. And here he is taking some time to sing, you're in my heart, you're in my soul, uh, to this man that is dying, laying on his deathbed. And I think that is remarkable. They call him Sir Rod Stewart over in England. Of course, Rod had a lot of success in the United States. And uh, I think that sort of stuff should be celebrated a lot more than, you know, there's always the fight videos and there's always... uh, you know, somebody getting bad service, and there's always somebody that's uh, negative in the human condition. But I was happy to share that with Rod Stewart. I thought it was absolutely remarkable. And it says a lot about Rod Stewart. And there he was, again, one of his greatest fans of all time and their, their dying moments to be able to get well wishes from Rod Stewart. So, Rod, I know you don't listen to the show. I'm sure you don't. Maybe you do. Who knows? But we salute you, and we thank you for your kindness. Number seven – I, we talk about underappreciated people. And I remember when Luther Vandross hit the scene, it was almost like a throwback to a different era. And you had this guy with this amazing baritone voice that uh, had range probably atypical. And next thing you know, Luther Vandross goes from a you know, kind of a newfound talent to a mega star in the music industry. I had to go with Luther. I know many of you are big Luther Vandross fans, at least your parents were. But his version of the Christmas song is your number seven song. I think it's absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I mean, you know, his voice is so smooth, man. It's like crawling under, a, you know, some warm sheets. Number six, I was a big Jewel fan. I don't know if you guys were. That song, uh, Who Will Save Your Soul, is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. She kind of lost me a little bit with the yodeling. But an incredible singer-songwriter, Jill made her money, and we, we don't hear as much from her anymore, but uh, her cover of Angels We Have Heard on High, number six, on your traditional Christmas cover list. 
Number five, another singer-songwriter, and I'm a sucker for singer-songwriters. I love it. I love people that can, you know, write a song and pick the guitar and then sing along to it because it's, it is a skill that I don't have, so I respect those that can. We haven't heard as much from her either, but uh, Colby Calais, really love her voice. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. That's what we went with her. It's a great, great version of that song. Number four, the greatest American Idol star of all time. Sold more records than just about everybody else, right? Kelly Clarkson was incredible too. But Carrie Underwood, her contribution to A Very Special Christmas was your number four song. It's Hark the Herald Angel Sing. It is a classic Christmas hymn. And Carrie Underwood, again, an incredible voice. And has just a commercial look, image, sound all the way around. It was a can't-miss deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, if she was on American Idol, it was like, even if she didn't win the show, you knew that she was bound for superstardom, and she absolutely has been. Uh, number three, going back to one of the greatest blues singers of all time. Many of you know her from Fleetwood Mac. It's Stevie Nicks, and her version of Silent Night is almost anthemic to me. It's like when you hear it, you hear her incredible voice. And uh, she has such incredible range, too. I, I actually appreciate the lower register of her range even more so than the higher stuff. I don't know what the technical term is, but, you know, she sings alto. But she, um, she uses the full complement of her ability. And so her version of Silent Night is your number three. Number two, and a lot of people have covered this song. I don't know that anybody's covered it as well as these guys. And it's uh, Please Come Home for Christmas. By Bon Jovi. How about that? You weren't expecting to get Bon Jovi today. They've done a few Christmas songs. I remember when John Bon Jovi and his uh, namesake band once ruled the world. You know, when Slippery When Wet was out, let's say, 86, 87, you couldn't go anywhere without Bon Jovi. And there were a lot of, like, you know, the preps. You know, we went to high school. We had, you know, we had the guys in the smoking section and, you know, people like me. And then we had the preps. Next thing you know... Bon Jovi went from being kind of a opening act from the 7800 degrees Fahrenheit tour when they opened for Rat, becoming one of the biggest headliners in the game. I watched him at the Biloxi Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum February 13th, 1987, the day before Valentine's Day, with Cinderella. It was an incredible show. I'll never forget that. Got one of our friends' moms took us because we were all so young we couldn't drive yet. Well, we certainly couldn't drive to Biloxi. Those who could drive. We went down there, got in her Lincoln Town car, and then enjoyed it. I raked leaves for like three weeks to save up money. Bought myself a Cinderella shirt and a Bon Jovi shirt. I was the coolest kid in Columbia. But please come home for Christmas. A nice rendition from John and the Boys. But number one, and you hear this everywhere, and uh, again, a global talent and, you know, somebody that started out, you know, and next thing you know, we weren't quite sure where this thing was going. And uh, one of the most recognizable voices in all of music today, it's Mariah Carey's version of All I Want for Christmas is You. A lot of people have covered that one, too. Nobody as good as Mariah Carey. And, uh, again, a very sentimental song, a very happy song. And the way that she sings it, it's very endearing. You almost feel like she's singing to you. So there you go. Your top ten traditional Christmas songs covered by contemporary artists. And we could have probably put together a list of about 50. Uh, you know, I guess an honorable mention to uh, Bruce Springsteen and the boys for Santa Claus is Coming to Town. 
That's a great one, too. I know Madonna redid Santa Baby. I don't like it nearly as much as the original. All due respect to you Madonna fans. I think it's a bit contrived, to be honest with you. But I like the folks that did the Christmas albums. You know, Boys and Men had some great stuff. I guess The Birth of Christ was a great one for them. But a lot of people get involved in Christmas albums, and uh, maybe you should. Maybe you, too, should do a Christmas album. Maybe we'll start with The King, Blue Christmas, with Elvis Presley. We can start there. But a lot of great Christmas songs, and again, we'll, uh, we'll have another list later in the week. I mean, Christmas is almost here. Three days left. Three days left. That's it. Three days left. Get excited. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I was there earlier this week when Bob bought some gifts. Probably spent a lot more money than I should have. A lot of good stuff in Campus Bookmart. That's a thing I always think about. If you have a Bulldog fan in your life, you're going to find something they need or want at Campus Bookmart. Find some things you need or want, too. And watch life without taking care of ourselves every once in a while and treating ourselves to something new and nice. You can find it at Campus Bookmark. There's nothing better. Like when I walk into somebody's house and I see a bunch of Mississippi State on the wall, I feel like I'm at home. I'm like, okay, I'm among friends. I'm among family here. That's how your home should look too. Rep the brand, man. Have the M over S. Have the maroon and white everywhere you go. We got a bulldog ornament on our tree. He's right up there beneath the angel. Right? You can even find ornaments there at Campus Bookmark. That's the only thing that's above Mississippi State, right, is the angel, right? You know what I'm saying. So visit them today on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders, over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Of course, a little bit late to do online shopping now. Maybe you can run by there, as I did and uh, fill your sleigh with Christmas goods. And I'm going to go ahead and prepare you now. Aunt Bertha is going to get you socks again. So if you're holding out hope that you're going to get that nice Mississippi State pullover, uh, let me go ahead and save you, give you the spoiler alert. You're not getting it. Take care of it yourself. Plenty to choose from. And a lot of national championship merch still there too. I was surprised by that, you know, because you guys have spent so much money on that. But you can get – there's even some national championship merch at Campus Bookmark at a discount. You can get now. I think I saw like NAFL Championship merch T-shirts, like thirty to forty percent off, something like that. So if you're looking to maybe plan ahead for baseball season, buy yourself a T-shirt or two from CampusBookmart.net. All right, let's talk about what the Bulldogs want for Christmas. There's a lot still out there recruiting-wise to go, but uh, I think the first thing on our Christmas list for Mike Leach and the Bulldogs is a win over Texas Tech in Liberty Bowl. Now, it's good to have trophies. It is. It's good to have revenge. But more importantly, it's good to have momentum heading into the offseason. We don't want to end the year, even, with, even though we'll have a winning record, we don't want to end the year on a two-game losing streak. And that was the deal last year. We ended the year on a two-game winning streak. We just destroyed Missouri, and then we beat up Tulsa, and we won the ball game. And so we ended the year on a very high note. We want to be able to do that this year. We want to end on a winning record because we have a lot of juice right now. We're doing well on the recruiting trail. And so not to mention, I want Mike Leach to have a little measure of revenge too against Texas Tech based on how they treated him. But it's even bigger than that. And Mike will tell you the same. Mike Leach will never make that about himself. You know, he joked about maybe they'll bring that $2 million check to the bowl game. What's not going to happen. 
But I'd like to see him win the ball game and walk away. And, you know, it's really more about I don't want him to have to live with losing to those guys after how they treated him. But at the end of the day, nobody's bigger than a program. What's best for our program? Let's go win a ball game against Texas Tech and end the year with eight wins, which I think most people would say, you know what, that's probably at the upper end of our expectations for this year. You can look back in hindsight and say, hey, we should have won this, should have won that, whatever. You know, it is what it is. We're seven and five. It could end the year on an eight and five uh, record. I think that's pretty good in year two because I think this team is capable of winning 10 games next year. Get on board. Next thing on my wish list is I begin to think about what's next for us for um, the wide receiver coaching position. Got to fill that spot. You know, want to make sure we've got somebody, number one, that uh, knows our culture, knows our offense, can be a great recruiter, move these guys along. I think Mike Leach probably already has some names in mind. Of course, Chad Bumpus is a guy that we all love and, and respect, not just for the person that he is, but for the player he was. And at some point, I'm confident that Chad Bumpus is going to come home and coach at Mississippi State. Don't know if this is that time. Jacob Peeler, former Ole Miss coach. Guy that was a great recruiter, even when he was out at Cal. He got kids from Mississippi to go to Cal. That's when I knew the guy could recruit. He's sitting down here getting guys from Petal, Mississippi, and Oak Grove and places like that. He even got A.J. Brown to visit Cal and ultimately joins Brown at Ole Miss. Guy did a great job recruiting there. Is he the right guy? Yeah, I don't know. But I know that if we do hire him, I know that, that recruiting-wise, we'll be in pretty good shape. And while I'm on that topic, one of the things, and I had a discussion with uh, the illustrious hind dog the other day, this might be the best recruiting staff I can remember. Honest to goodness. You know, we've always had these staffs where, like, there's always somebody that kind of just recruits because they have to. They don't produce much. But at this point, I think this staff, I think everybody's carrying their weight. You know, this time last year, a lot of people were complaining about Jeff Phelps. Nobody's complaining about him now, not to mention he stacked two good defensive line classes on top of each other. Jeff's a great coach. His players absolutely love him. He's winning on the recruiting trail. You don't think the Trevion Williams things had anything to do with Jeff Phelps? You're kidding yourself. Don Terry Russell, of course, we you know, had the family connection there, but uh, the reality of it is is you know, his brother is here. If he wasn't having a good experience, he would tell him, right? Darcel McBath, kind of the whipping boy in many respects by some of the social media uh, fan base. But now you've got a situation where you've got Odavian Collins, who is a very talented high school corner. you got DeCarlos Nicholson, your top junior college corner prospect, signed. And now your top transfer prospect committed. Now all of a sudden, we're like, hey, we'll give the guy a break. It's like, so who do we find to complain about now? Steve Spurrier Jr., one of our best recruiters. Mason Miller has put together two very good offensive line classes in a row and then won a huge battle for Percy Lewis. Eric Mealy continues to get his guys. You know, and so I begin to look around here, and I say, okay, well, do we really have any dead weight on the staff recruiting-wise? Look at our linebackers. Look at what Arnett and Matt Brock did at this linebacker class. I told you guys I'm really excited about this group. And so I don't know that we necessarily have to go get a recruiter by trade who is a recruiter first and a coach second you got to get a coach you can recruit, but I don't think you have to get a recruiter and hope he can coach. 
And so the reality of that is, is I think we're going to be okay recruiting-wise either way, no matter which direction we go. You know, is it Drew Hollingshead? Drew's a guy that's paid his dues, been in the system a long time, has an opportunity to get on the field. Yeah, I don't know. But I hope Mike Leach can get that settled sooner rather than later. Then I think about this recruiting class. We know what else we need, right? We have put together a good class. It could be a really good class. I won't say it could be a great class because I think that, you know, there's our skill position guys. I think we've done really well there. But I'd like to think at some point we can graduate to getting more four-star type quality receivers. And, again, I'm not saying anything negative about the guys we have. I just think at some point as this offense evolves, we'll be able to, you know, attract some better talent. I think we did a pretty good job last year. So we're getting better receivers than we've normally got. I think that the best is yet to come at that position. But you probably need a transfer wide receiver. You might need two. I do not believe Malik Heath is coming back. I, I don't. I, now, does that mean that he goes pro? Does that mean he goes in the portal and ends up at Jackson State with Dion? I don't know. But I don't believe he's coming back. He went through senior day. So he's kind of tipped it off a little bit and kind of let us know. And there were some discussions back then that he's going to try to go pro, going to bet on himself and enter the draft. Probably needs another year. But the reality of it is, is uh, you know, I think Malik Heath is probably ready to move on and try a shot at pro football. And I think that's a guy, too, that will run well at the combine. And I think he's a guy that will impress in workouts. I, think, I really think his best football is ahead of him. I really do. But I don't think he's coming back. So if that's the case, maybe you need to get two receivers. And we know Makai Polk is going to uh, likely submit his uh, paperwork to get feedback from the NFL Draft Advisory Board. You know, what does that show? Does he come back? And we certainly expect that to be the case. But, again, I want you to be aware of the possibilities. So maybe we need two transfers. Maybe. Got to get one for sure. Maybe two. We need an offensive tackle. We need a stopgap guy at offensive tackle. We talked about Mason Brooks from Western Kentucky. He's not the only name in the portal, and there's going to be a lot more going to the portal here in the next couple weeks. I think Albert Reese is going to be a major force for the Mississippi State offensive line. I don't know that his time is next year, though. It may be, but wouldn't it be nice to have a bit of an insurance policy just in case? Just in case it's not quite right. Now, that's the thing you think about, too, is like, you know, Percy Lewis – Guy's going to be here in January. He's going to have to get up to speed very quickly. And you're breaking in another another starting tackle as well. So wouldn't it be nice to have three, possible four, names in that mix? You know, Nick Jones is a guy too that's a possibility. Of course, been on campus now a year, still got a couple years left. You can always pop Cam Jones back out there at right tackle and, and probably not miss a beat. But it'd be nice to have a stopgap guy at offensive tackle just in case Albert Reese isn't quite ready. That's a big, massive, intelligent guy. I think he will ultimately be a three-year starter here at Mississippi State. I just don't know if he's a starter as a redshirt freshman. I don't know if he's quite ready for that. If he is, then we're really in great shape. But it'd be nice to have an experienced guy here just in case. Makes perfect sense to me. We've got a corner committed in the transfer portal. Probably don't need another older guy if we can hang on the banks. Probably need to get a high school guy to get in the developmental pipeline. It makes perfect sense to me. You don't want to get too old at the position. You don't want it skewed too high. You need some younger guys to come in here 
and develop and provide some depth and then work their way into a too deep opportunity in a couple of years. Some names out there. I know they're chasing Kamari uh, Terrell, who is a lifelong LSU fan, and he's going to visit LSU in January. He's going to make a decision sometime closer to February. He's already visited Mississippi State. But that's something that we'll monitor too. But he's not the only guy out there. But you probably need a developmental high school corner. Got to get an older safety. And there, will, again, will be, will be some nice ones, some nice safety prospects that go in the portal once the bowl games are over. You got to make a move pretty quick. I mean, you've got basically, what, a little over three weeks. Once they get in the portal, you got to be on them immediately. And, and that's one of the things, too, that I have learned in recent days is that Mississippi State has people that are basically monitoring the portal instantly. Like there's just somebody always watching the portal. That doesn't mean that doesn't happen in other schools. You know it does. Because you know, if you don't hit the ground running on these kids, next thing you know, you're behind the eight ball and you've got no chance to sign them. But as soon as guys are in the portal, Mississippi State's already evaluating them. Is this a good fit for us? What are we going to do? Can we get him? Does he have an interest? Do we have a connection? All of that happens probably within 24 hours of a player going in the portal, and then you decide if you want to pursue him or not. But all that's taking place behind the scenes. They support, you know that. What about kickers? You know, we're going to take a kicker. Might take two. Probably need to revamp the entire kicking thing. And, again, that's no disrespect to anybody else. My loyalty is to Mississippi State, not to an individual. we got to have more consistency. We did pretty good last year kickoff-wise. Really did. Pretty consistent with the touchbacks. Wasn't always 100%, but, you know, we had some injuries last year, too. I mean, that's the thing. You know, uh, Scott Goodman got dinged up last year. Brandon, of course, got dinged up last year. Uh, you need some depth, and you probably need to scholarship a guy or two. You know, we've got uh, Vito Calav- Cal- Calvarusi. I hate if I mispronounce that. I apologize. But uh, he was the kickoff specialist at Arkansas. Mississippi State's in pursuit of him. Not exactly sure when he's going to decide. I don't think it lingers too terribly long. Can he handle place kicking and kickoffs? Don't know. That's one of the reasons he's looking to leave Arkansas. He wants a chance to compete for that job. It's a true freshman that came in there, uh, did a really good job for Arkansas, as we know, as we saw firsthand. Guy was outstanding. So he's looking for greener pastures. Maybe that's in Starkville. We have a lot of pastures here. You know, Fayetteville's kind of a, a gray area, too. You know, right? I mean, you, you go up there. Every time we go up there in November, it's always gray and overcast, right? But, uh, you know, all due respect to Arkansas, I mean, the reality of it is if the guy wants another opportunity, he's going to have to leave. So that's a, that's a name to kind of remember if we move forward, too. There's some other names out there. We'll see how things progress, to say the least. But, uh, you know, State's got a lot to, to look forward to, uh, to say the least, with this recruiting class. Got a chance to really put some things together. And I also want the egg back, like all of you. Life feels somewhat incomplete when the egg is in Oxford, and uh, that was one of our goals this year. And we basically had four major goals in football this year. Wanted to show some progress on offense. Wanted to extend the bowl streak. Wanted to have a winning record. Wanted to get the egg back. Well, we got three to four done. Got to wait another you know, year to get the egg back. We need to get the egg back. Things are much better when we have the egg. I think we're just prouder of the egg when we have it. You know, like when the egg is with us, I mean, we go around the state and show them off and let people get their pictures made and surprise longtime donors and fans. And 
you guys can get your picture made with it. And yeah, it's a big deal to us. It is. It's a big deal to us. And I don't like the fact that Mike Leach is 0-2 in rivalry games here. I don't. Now, granted, Ole Miss was a better football team than us this year. That didn't mean we didn't have our opportunities. We did. We dropped three consecutive touchdown passes that really kind of aided in their, uh, their cause. And, of course, you know, we missed a field goal, and, uh, which brings us back to why it's important for us to go out there and get some kickers. But uh, the reality of it is that's what we want for Christmas. It's not all we want for Christmas. It's not the only important thing. It's important. But I believe this football program is on a very solid trajectory right now. I think we all feel a whole lot better this Christmas than we did last Christmas as we're kind of looking at our options and kind of looking forward and beginning to wonder, will the air raid work in the SEC? Is Will Rogers the guy? Can Mike Leach and his group recruit? I think we've answered all those questions with an affirmative yes. All right, time for the final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, Portico is where I would move. That's not just an advertisement. That's a promise. I I absolutely would. I like it out there. You will, too. Very easy to get to. Um, Yeah, it's one of those deals, too, where I I would like to be closer to campus. I live out here in the sticks. I like it out here. It's quiet. Anybody coming down my driveway, I know it's looking for trouble or delivering something from Amazon that one of the girls in my family have ordered. But uh, so, you know, here's the deal, you know that if you're looking to make Starkville your home, maybe perhaps your second home, perhaps your retirement home, you need to give the folks at Portico a chance to serve you. Brooks Bryan is part of that great group that's bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville. Phase one is completely sold out. Phase two, everything's up and running now. You can still pick out a lot, pick out a house plan. We're getting slabs poured, that sort of stuff. And so you can get a brand new constructed home. And everybody deserves that at least once in life, right? to go through that process. Get it how you want it. It's exciting. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, as we begin to uh, get into bowl week for us, I thought maybe let's take a look back at where we've come from. And uh, I shared this with you guys before. You know, we, we didn't have an extensive bowl history prior to the modern era. And some of that was bureaucracy. Some of it is we weren't very good at times. But there were other times that we were have been a good bowl team, but we had this you know, bad rap. I guess they thought we were going to have to walk to the games or, or bring tractors that we wouldn't be able to go to ball games. And, and we didn't have the backing of the state legislature to guarantee our ticket sales allotment. In those days, we, you know, bowls are all about money, and they really were back then. They would pick a less successful team that would sell tickets. Happened re- regularly. But our first bowl appearance was back in 1936. We went to the Orange Bowl, and we lost to Duquesne's 13-12. That's Raf Sassy. Remember Major Raf Sassy, the first to actually bring a bulldog on the field as an official mascot. Sadly, his uh, career here you know, was very short-term. He had some, uh, had some issues with alcoholism. 1940. And we, we talked so much about the Alan McKean era and what a great, great stretch it was. And that's the thing, too. It was absolutely criminal that Mississippi State wasn't selected to go to bowl games more regularly during the Alan McKean era. And, and there's only like eight bowl games around that time. Um, 
I've done the math on that, but it's been a while. But let me just run it down for you. You know, 1940, State goes 10-0-1, and we go to the Orange Bowl, and uh, we win that sucker. You know, we go out there and we win. We beat uh, Georgetown 14-7. to But looking at Alan McKean, like the next year, we go 8-1-1. 1941, and we, uh, you know, we win the SEC that year. We finished 16th in the country, didn't go to a bowl game. 42, we go 8-2, and two, don't go to a bowl game. And then he put together 6-2, 6-3, 8-2, 7-3 records and didn't get to go to a bowl game. We finished first in the SEC in 1941 and sat home. Well, let's just let it sink in for a second. How does the SEC champion sit home? in bowl season. Well, it's because we didn't have the backing of our state legislature and there was a lot of politics involved in bowl games. So we didn't get to go. But he did win the one in 1940. We didn't go again until 1963 when Coach Paul Davis took us to Philadelphia, one of the coldest games in the history of the world, and uh, played the Liberty Bowl against NC State. It was our own Bill McGuire that blocked a punt that set up a touchdown. Mississippi State wins the game 16-12. to Really good team there in 63. That's 63 team, too. The guys on that team, too, you know, we, we didn't beat Ole Miss from 1946 to 63. We tied them in 63, and then we beat them in 64. But that was, uh, that was a big turn for us under Paul Davis. We didn't go back to a ball game for 11 years after that. Coach Bob Tyler takes us to the Sun Bowl with Rocky Falker at the helm. We beat North Carolina 26-24 in that bowl game. So, again, begin to think about this. Prior to 1980, Mississippi State went to four bowl games. We were 3-1, and one, and we should have been to a bunch more bowl games. We didn't get picked. We didn't get picked. We were disrespected. And you wonder why, like, you young bucks, that like you see on social media and message boards, you're like, I don't understand how this older generation is so negative. This is why. This is why. Because teams that were similarly situated than us were treated differently than us. Teams with lesser records got to go to ball games. Teams with comparable records got to go to ball games, and we didn't. And so, if there was ever anybody that was going to get shafted, it always seemed to be us. And it's and, I, and some of that that self-loathing stuff is still kind of existing in the fan base. It's like when Brett McMurphy tweeted out that there was going to be one G5 team that was bowl eligible and not make the bowl game this year. I got a message from a listener or a subscriber that said, I guarantee it's going to be us that gets left out. What? With a 7-5 and five record and there's all this 6-6 six and six teams, it's because all of that old bitter resentment just dies hard, guys. That's where all that comes from. People are like, I don't understand. Things have been great, man. We're this. Yeah, but it wasn't always like that. Mississippi State was always just kind of – it's just like when we won the SEC in baseball, uh, I guess back in '46. 46 or 47, memory escapes me. We win the SEC and didn't get picked to go to the NCAA tournament. Alabama and Georgia got to go. We were the SEC champions and stayed home. 1980, Emory Villard brings us to the Sun Bowl. We lose to Nebraska. That's the year we beat Alabama 6-3. We lose to Nebraska. A lot of people thought we were playing out of our league. I thought we still should have won the ball game. 1981, we, we beat Kansas in the Hall of Fame Classic, 10 nothing. And you wonder, well, Steve, the Hall of Fame Classic, where is that thing today? Well, the Hall of Fame Classic was um, one that was, used to be a tie-in between, um, you know, the Big Eight 
in the SEC. And it was played at Legion Field in Birmingham, Alabama. It's now the Birmingham Bowl. How about that? Maybe you didn't know that. Now you do. All right, 1991, Jackie Sherrill takes us, again, we hadn't been in 10 years, and Jackie brings us to the Air Force Bowl. We lose to Air Force. We just couldn't stop the option, guys. We just couldn't do it. They beat us 38-15. The next year, we go to the Peach Bowl. We play North Carolina. We lose 21-17. Two years later, we're back in the Peach. Michael Kane and NC State beat us 28-24. So while Jackie was getting us to some nice mid-level ball games, we couldn't win. 1998, we win the SEC West. We lose to eventual NAFL champion Tennessee in the SEC title game, a game that I contend we still should have won. And then we get beat by Ricky Williams in Texas, 38-11, to in the Cotton Bowl. So while Jackie had us in the bowl picture again consistently, he began his tenure 0-4 in bowl games. Well, that changed in 1999 as we take care of Clemson, 17-7 in the Peach Bowl. 2000, the Snow Bowl took place. And, of course, we beat Texas A&M, Jackie's old school, 43-41. So Jackie Sherrill, with all the great things he did for us, got us to Atlanta, the only school in Mississippi that's been to the SEC Championship game. Maybe, maybe, maybe you are aware of that. The only one. But two and four in bowl games. 2007, Sylvester Croom gets us back into a bowl game, and it was one of the – more boring bowl games of the year and probably of all time. Just couldn't get it. Either team could get anything started offensively. State was really good on defense. And uh, Derek Pegues, one's most outstanding player, had a couple picks in a ball game. We win, and it capped a really good season for us. And for the first time in a long time, it felt like we finally had our feet under us again. We had endured a lengthy NCAA investigation. We were, had a very difficult coaching search. And there were a lot of rumors about our uh, NCAA case that uh, fell well short of reality. So it hurt us on the recruiting trail. You may not remember this, but there was Rich Johannigmeyer, who was the NCAA investigator, that was interviewing some of our staff people and interviewing people about our case in the lobby of the hotel where the Mississippi High School Coaches Association meeting was taking place. They had no shame. All right, 2010, Dan Mullen uh, gets us into a bowl game for the first time in a couple years. You know, of course, Dan got here in 09, and so we destroy Michigan in the Gator Bowl, our first appearance in that bowl game, 52-14. The next year, 6-6 six and six Bulldog team takes care of Wake Forest. Uh, Vic Bauer, the hero in that game, 23-17 winners. The next year, we're back in the Gator Bowl. Tyler Russell had a tough ball game. We had many opportunities to put this game away. We don't. And then Pat Fitzgerald and the um, Northwestern Wildcats beat us 34-20. 2013, kind of Dak Prescott's coming out party. We get Rice and Liberty Bowl. It's 44-7. We pulled Dak late in the ball game. This We, we probably could have won this game 70-7. Jamion Lewis sets a Liberty Bowl record for receiving that ball game. 2014, we're back in the Orange Bowl again. They're like we've never been to the Sugar Bowl, and like Ole Miss hadn't been to the Orange Bowl. You know, it's just weird how it's kind of worked out. And I want to go to the Sugar. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. That you don't crown the SEC champion anymore, but I still want to go. I do. We lose to Georgia Tech, 49-34. You remember the biggest highlight of that game was Dak threw a Hail Mary to end the first half. It was pulled down by Fred Ross. It kind of kept us in the ball game. You remember Jeff Collins made a lateral move to Florida. 
uh, after this ball game, and Deshae Townsend was the one calling the defense for us. And I uh, loved Deshae to death as a player at Pittsburgh, but that just didn't work out for us. 2015, Dak Swansong, we go out there and beat NC State in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte. Rainy day. I remember Gary Green getting a big pick early in that ball game, but we pretty much did whatever we wanted to do. I remember Elton Jenkins out there just plowing people into the, the turf at Charlotte. 2016, we keep the streak alive thanks to some good grades and the fact that there weren't a lot of bowl-eligible teams uh, at 6-6 six and six at the end. So we head down to the St. Petersburg Bowl, and we beat Miami of Ohio 17-16. Nelson Adams' shining moment as he blocked a potential game-winning field goal attempt. 2017, after Dan Mullen left us for Florida, Greg Knox hung in there. Greg Knox uh, leads us to victory. And, uh, and we had a great, great group of guys that year. And we beat Lamar Jackson, the Heisman Trophy winner, 31-27. And to be honest with you, there were two plays in that ball game. One of them where the, uh, the, the pass to Jalen Smith, he was out of bounds. They didn't mark him out. They didn't review it. And it set up a touchdown. There was another where Lamar Jackson got loose because of two, hold, two holds at the offensive line. And those two plays kept them in the ball game. This game could have easily been a blowout. Jim Moorhead beats Ole Miss twice but can't win the bowl games. We lose 27-22 at Outback. And, and I'll be as excited as I was to get to Tampa and have some sun on my face. We were so underprepared for this ball game. Still had a chance to win it. Nick Fitzgerald had Aris Williams out in the flat wide open for a would-be touchdown. We elect not to do it, and um, we lost. And, again, big plays. We had this great defense full of first-round draft picks, and we gave up a couple of big plays that made the difference. And it all kind of turned. Kobe Jones, we had a big play, and they flagged Kobe for the throat slash thing, and it gave them a first down. They had done absolutely nothing before that. That kind of gave them some juice. And then, of course, we lose the uh, Music City Bowl. People forget we actually led at halftime in this ball game. But in the second half, it was all Louisville. The, uh, the, the last ride of Joe Moorhead and his immortals. And, of course, last year, Mike Leach leads us to a victory over Tulsa, 28-26. And so that's your bowl history. And, uh, you know, again, we have done pretty well. Once we've been in bowl games, you know, as of, for a while there, we had one of the longest streaks in the country. From 99 to 2011, Mississippi State was 5-0 and in bowl games. Pretty good stretch there. Then we lose one, win another one, makes a 6-1, and one, lose another one, 6-2. and two. Then we peel off the next three. So 9-2 and two over an 11-year stretch uh, that ended, began with Jackie Sherrill and ended with Greg Knox. And so we are traditionally a pretty good bowl team. And so need to add another notch in the gun belt, if you know what I'm saying. Excited about – the Liberty Bowl. Hope you guys will come out and be a part of that. And listen, don't listen to all the social media rhetoric. The Bulldogs are playing. The Bulldogs are playing reasonably close to home. Let's turn out and go demonstrate our support uh, for the Bulldogs. Be back with you guys again. I'll probably record Thursday night and uh, or maybe Thursday morning. We'll figure it out. I'm going to record the show and then we'll have that published for you guys on Friday. And uh, we look forward to, to being a part of your Christmas holidays. I know many of you are on the road, and I will be on the road this weekend too. But I just didn't feel right about just completely shutting the operation down for the holidays. And um, I, I can't speak for anybody else. But when we don't have a show, my inbox fills up and says, hey, Steve, what's going on? And it's been pretty rare that I've ever had to miss. But uh, the reality of it is I know many of you guys are on the road. So we're going to preview the SEC Bowl season on Friday. We'll have another great top ten list. And uh, we'll exchange our Christmas gifts together on Friday. 
That's going to do it for today. It'll probably be a shorter show, kind of like this one on Friday, too. So there's not a lot to talk about between now and then. But we'll, uh, we'll come up with some things and preview the SEC Bowl season. And any recruiting information I can dig up between now and then, we'll be happy to share it. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.